All right. Well, good morning. That gets me excited for the summer. How about you guys? It feels like summer finally, and we're all here in this air-conditioned building together with our family. This feels so great. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a very uh, interesting and dramatic story in the book of 1 Kings. And so beforehand, Jasmine asked me, how in the world am I going to sign some of these words? So here's the thing. All of the scripture is going to be up on the screens. There are a lot of crazy words and names and places, um, but I'm really excited about where we're going. This is one of the most um, dramatic stories in all of scripture. So if you guys have your Bibles, bring them out. Turn to 1 Kings right now. This is one of the greatest shows of God's power, and it seems to be in such contrast to what we experience today. It seems to me like so often... We worship a God that sometimes seems hidden. Francis of Assisi was famously disgusted by lepers early in his ministry. Then one day a leper blocked his way. He wouldn't let him pass. His hands were already rotten and his face was was decayed. And so Francis gave him all the money that he had to just get by. But the leper just stood there and blocked the way. Then Francis took off his cloak and he gave it to the leper. And the leper just stared at him right in the eyes. And after a period of time, Francis closed his eyes, braced himself, and then he kissed the leper on his decaying lips. The leper then vanished, Francis recounts. He said it was a miracle. Francis said that that leper was Jesus. Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do it unto me. From that day forward, he treated every single leper as though he was Jesus himself. And Francis says, I find God hidden in the poor. And I think I struggle with that concept of God's hiddenness. Why does God seem to hide himself? You guys ever think that? I mean, here we all are on a Sunday morning. It's beautiful out. We could all be at the beach, but we're in church because we all want to see God and know God. We want to, don't we? So why doesn't God just levitate this pulpit? Why doesn't God just show himself with fire or thunder or just show power so that those of us in this room who have doubts, boom, they'll be gone instantly? Why not? There's many sick in here. Why not just heal everyone? Why not just a display of power? When I was preparing our messages for Rush, I thought to myself, I'm going to have a room full of 1,500 kids. These are all going to be future parents and then future grandparents. Imagine the impact if God showed up in incredible power. Why not? Why doesn't he do that? I think we all feel this way from time to time. We pray There's disease, there's issue, we have prodigal children in our midst, and we say, God, show yourself in power. We want that. There was an event last May, it was called the Susan Now, and and it was tens of thousands of people, and they packed the L.A. Coliseum, and they were just crying out for God to start revival. They're just like, God, we want more of you. God, we want more of you. And there was lots of healings, but I'm watching it on live stream, and I'm thinking, okay, God, Bring power. Just show the world. It's go time. Let's do this. Come on. Just show power. And I watched it all day, and I just kept thinking to myself, 
Why don't you show up more, God? Why don't you? And as I see Jesus preach, he preached in parables, didn't he? He said he did this to hide the truth from some. Why? Lots of times when he healed, he took people into private to heal. Or he actually asked others to leave the room so that it would be a private setting when he healed. Often, most of the time. And I wonder, Jesus, why did you do this? So this has been one of those issues that I've had in my relationship with God for some time. And I have found incredible freedom as I studied the book of 1 Kings. Just incredible liberty in my spirit on this topic. I'm just going to pray and I'm going to ask. I believe that many of us in this room have the exact same feelings that I do. We look at God and say, I wouldn't do it this way, God. If I was God, it would be different. I think that's okay to have those emotions. It's okay to come with our questions and bring them to God. Timothy Keller said that our unanswered or, or unexamined doubts or questions will eventually ruin us. It's like a body without antibodies. We're susceptible to spiritual illness. So it's important we ask these questions. It's very important. So let me pray. I'm going to ask you to just come with a spirit of openness. Oftentimes as we study, what will happen is somebody will get hung up at one point and then everything else that God wants to reveal is blocked by a bit of a stubborn heart. I know that this is the case for me. Let me just ask you to just let the Holy Spirit have just full reign. He wants to illuminate our eyes to reveal areas of darkness and to bring light into those areas. So let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit here. We don't want the wisdom of man in this room. We want the power of the Almighty God in this room. So Jesus, God, I pray that you would give us your heart. Jesus, I pray for liberty in this room, for freedom in this room. God, I pray for those in this room who have had unanswered prayers. Children that have strayed. Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and soften our hearts. Jesus, I pray that each one of us would leave this place completely free. Jesus, your word does spiritual surgery. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, and so we claim that, and we proclaim your scripture as truth, and we live our lives by it, and we trust it, God. We are a people of the book, and we trust it. So God, speak now through it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would interpret the scripture, God, for each one of us individually, God. We claim that, that your Holy Spirit interprets, and we ask for that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So if you would Turn to 1 Kings chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. There were a lot of kings before him, by the way. And he did more evil than anyone else. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, sons of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. 
We'll get to that in a minute. That is a very big deal. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. There's a lot going on there. A temple to Baal, an Asherah pole. What does this all mean? You see, after King Solomon, there were many evil kings in Israel and Judah And they started worshiping Baal. And the reason why they worshiped Baal was really simple, is that Baal was the god of fertility. And so that meant, for starters, to their crops. That meant that they would be rich and wealthy. So it had to do with fertility with their land. Secondly, it had to do fertility with children. So this was status. The more kids you had, the more status you had. So they worshiped Baal. Typically, we worship who we want to get something out of. It's sort of this ingrained human desire. So they worshipped him and believed that he would bring them all this. So many people would have a little statue like that in their homes, or they would build enormous statues to Baal and worship him. That's what they would do. And this Baal worship was rooted in sexuality because he is the god of fertility. And it involved ritualistic prostitution in temples. And this is what King Ahab brought into the temple. Remember the place where they would bring the lambs to slaughter them. King Ahab brought in prostitutes. This is way further than any other king would even dare do. Imagine turning this church into a brothel. It's essentially what was happening. And they placed Asherah poles on the high places. This is what an Asherah pole would look like. It's designed to look like a woman. Baal's sister was Asherah. She also was attributed with fertility. And they put it on the high places because she was associated with the stars. And they wanted to appease her by putting her poles close to her. They did this throughout Israel. And it starts to get really sketchy. King Ahab built an actual temple to Baal. And they made human sacrifices to him. This was happening from the king. His wife Jezebel convinced him to do this, and she was killing all the worshipers of Yahweh. This is what's happening in God's kingdom. So Elijah loses it. Let's pick it up in chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. That's important because... Baal was all about fertility and the land. And now, Elijah is saying, you think Baal is even alive or real? I will show you supremacy over fertility. I'm stopping the rain. Let's see how good you do now. Your crops will all die. And that's exactly what happened. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Oh, sometimes we read scripture and don't picture it. He's camping beside a brook, and crows are bringing him food in the morning. He wakes up, and how you doing? At night before bed, they're back. They have more food from God. Unbelievable. 
Crazy miracles follow Elijah. He controls the weather and, and he gets fed by God. And we look back and we think, you know what, Elijah, he's not really a man. He's more of like a mini God. We think of prophets as almost godly, don't we? We think that's for them, not for us. But James, as he's about to get pushed off the temple, this is what he says. James says this. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. He's just a man. Just like each one of us in this room. This is for today. Sometimes we think this is not for us, and it is. When Paul and Barnabas, when they healed a lame man, the people were like, oh, you guys are gods. And they came and they brought wreaths for them. And they wanted to put it around Paul's neck. They're like, you're the god Hermes. And Paul's like, I'm not a god. They said, Barnabas, you're Zeus. He said, I'm not a god. People will think that followers of Jesus are gods. Because here's the thing, is that Jesus went and sat at the right hand of God. That is the hand of authority, the one that does the work. And it says in the New Testament more than 200 times that we are in Christ. Oh, that's our authority at the right hand of God. So amazing. That has nothing to do with this message, but amazing anyways. Let's get back to it. Verse 7, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. This is where it gets interesting. He asks a widow for bread. And this is what she says. As surely as our God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat and then die. They're starving to death. This is their last meal. She's getting sticks. Her son is on the brink of death. She's on the brink of death. They're going to go celebrate their last meal and then not eat again until they're dead. So this is the woman that Paul, that Paul, sorry, that Elijah says, can I have some bread? He's asking a starving, dying woman for bread. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. The first to me. The first fruits to me. Trust me. This is from God. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord sends rain on the land. This is asking so much of her. What is she going to do? Is she going to step in faith? So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. This is exactly as it says in the book of Malachi. God says, test me in this. Give me your first and see that I will not bless you. See 
that I will not bless you and overflow your storeroom so that there will be so much you won't have enough room. Test me. Unbelievable. I knew a missionary who had zero money and had no gas in his car and decided this. I'm just going to test God, not test God, trust God in this. And what happened was he believed that God was saying, I will provide your fuel for the summer. He drove thousands of miles that summer and never once went to the pump. He was on E the entire summer. Unbelievable. You see, the lady that he is staying with had a son. And after this whole incident, after he gets healthy, he gets sick and he actually dies. And she believed that Elijah must have cursed the family. And so Elijah sees the son laying there dead. And Elijah lays and stretches out upon him and then gets up. She's probably thinking, oh my goodness, why are you on my dead son? He does this three times and and the son comes back to life right in front of them all. Unbelievable. I often think that as Paul is teaching and he preaches way too long and this boy named Eutychus falls out the window and dies, I wonder if he thinks, remember what Elijah did? He laid on the kid. That's what Paul did. He goes downstairs, sees the kid dead, he lays on the kid, he comes back to life. Unbelievable. You see, this isn't just for Elijah. Paul was a man. We are all humans in this room, are we not? Wow. Elijah finally confronts Ahab again. He hasn't changed his ways. And he says this, I want you to meet me at Mount Carmel. I want you to bring 450 of your prophets of Baal. Bring these guys. And then he says this in 1 Kings 18, 21. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. This is the ultimatum. If I prove to you that Yahweh is God, then you follow him. This is the ultimatum. This is what it all comes down to. If I prove it, you follow. Deal? He said, prepare a bull. Place it on the altar. The God who answers by fire, he is God. In the morning, the prophets of Baal went first. They start dancing. They start shouting. And at about noon, Elijah starts taunting them. He says, shout louder. Surely he's a God, surely. And then he says this. Maybe he's asleep or traveling or doing business and they're getting mad, these prophets. So they take out knives and they start cutting themselves and blood is pouring and they get frantic and crazy. And this goes on until evening and nothing has happened. Finally, Elijah says, okay, let's see what happens. He steps in. He takes 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel He puts the bull on top. He digs a trench. He says, get four enormous containers of water. Pour it out. It fills the trench. And then he does this. He says, Lord, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Prove that you are God. Remember the ultimatum. 1 Kings 18.37. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. This is what it's all about. Turn their hearts to to you. Turn their hearts. Turn their hearts. This is what he wants. This is it. Fire comes down. 
burns everything, the bull, the rocks, the water. People fell on their faces and they cried and they said, Lord is God, the Lord is God. They've never seen a display like this before. Then he had all 450 of the prophets slaughtered. And then heavy rain came. This is the most decisive and one-sided victory you can imagine. Then the power of God comes upon Elijah, and he runs all the way to Jezreel in front of a chariot with horses, faster than any man could run. Whoa. Surely this is amazing. What a victory. But wait a second. Jezebel threatens him, and here's his response. He hides underneath a broom tree, and he cries. And he says this. He says, God, take my life. I want to die. You're thinking, what? That was the biggest victory you could ever imagine. Why do you want to die now? Remember his prayer, answer me, Lord, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and you're turning their hearts back again. They just saw the most definitive proof that Yahweh is God, and it didn't change anything. Nobody turned. Yeah, they fell in the moment, but listen to what he says. He says, your people reject your covenant, destroy your altars, kill your prophets. In his mind, he just lost because the greatest show of power resulted in no life change. And he ran and he cried. And he runs to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is called the mountain of God. And the reason it's called that is because this is where Moses met with God. Elijah would have known this. I know where Moses was when he met with God. I'm going there. And he went and he hid in a cave, very likely the cave that Moses was in. It took him 40 days to get there. And God wakes him up and he says, what are you doing here? You flee from Jezebel? Have I not proven my, my power and my provision? And he starts to pout. It didn't work. No one turned their hearts back to you. I've failed. It didn't work. It's my fault. I asked for this. Then God makes the craziest offer. He says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of God, and I will pass by. When he said to Moses, he said, Moses, you get into the cave, and when you're in the cave, I will pass by. But he says to Elijah, go out on the mountain, on the edge, and I will pass by. And the great wind comes, and it starts to, the scriptures say, tear the rocks apart. Shatter rocks with wind. It's incredibly powerful. But he's safe, even though he's out on the edge, and he's afraid of Jezebel. But God wasn't in that. The next is an earthquake. This was a tremendous show of power. Again, he's safe, though. God wasn't in that. And then the fire, incredible power. God wasn't in that. But then what happens next terrifies him, and it makes him hide his face with his cloak because it's way more intense. What is it? 
It was a whisper. It was the voice of God that made him hide his face. The angels cover their faces before God in the book of Isaiah chapter 6. You see, they've heard his voice for all eternity, but still, his voice creates such an awe and reverence in them that they hide their faces every time. Think of that voice. Listen to what God is saying. He's saying, I am in the whisper. This is the most powerful force possible. I draw my children, not with huge displays of power, but with tender love. You see, God was not speaking in the pillar of fire or in the drought or in the rain or in the ravens feeding him. He wasn't speaking in that. He's saying, Elijah, it wasn't your fault they didn't turn to you. I wasn't speaking in that. It's not your fault. You see, we look for the huge, and so God seems hidden. But God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see, he whispers to make us listen really careful, to make us tune in only to him, to focus all of our attention, all of our affection, and by default, tune out everything else because we're focused on the whisper. As a result, we deny all of our false gods because we're tuning in only upon him. This is the only way that we will seek him with our whole heart. He will not shout over all of our idols. He won't because our heart will be divided. We won't be seeking him with our whole heart. We'll be seeking him with a divided heart. He whispers to be our sole focus. You see, he's a jealous God, and he will not coexist with idols, with their Asherah poles and their temple prostitution. He won't do it. He will not share his attention with them. And the same thing applies to us. You see, God is not hidden. A pillar of fire in this room would not change a single thing in our city. A tremendous display of power over Kelowna would do nothing. Because we only find him when we seek him with our whole heart, not a divided heart. So he has to whisper. So we tune everything else out. I have a friend who was at a conference and he was knocked over in his words by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said this to me. He said, I laid on the ground for an hour in just bliss and and God was speaking to me and loving me. He said, I'll never forget that moment. but he has completely rejected God today. He doesn't know what happened, he says now. It doesn't matter. I told you guys about some boys on the ark years ago. They were praying and asking God to just show himself, and and it was a crazy night he did. We were sitting around the campfire pit, and I had a guitar leaning up against one of the benches, and they said, "Uh, God, just show yourself. And my guitar, which was across the fire, strummed, and no one was anywhere near the thing to strum the loudest chord. And the boys all just started crying, and they're like, whoa. And they gave their lives to Jesus. This was Thursday night. On Friday night, all of them were at a party, and none of them actually followed Christ. I've never seen any one of them since. You see, after Joe was healed, 
Jill's a girl in our ministry whose back was miraculously healed, and she had metal rods in her back that are now gone by the power of God. I thought to myself, okay, this is great. There's six guys that I have in mind, and I'm going to tell this to them. This is 100% obvious proof. There's no way you can deny this, and this will change their hearts. And I went to each one of the six of them, and it never changed one of them, not even one, nowhere near. You see, God heals us because he loves us. That's why he heals. But he draws us with love and kindness by whispering our name. It's two very different things. But I want God to be different. I want God to blow the doors off this place. I want great shows of power in this room. I do. And I think, God, I would do it differently. But then God says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who do you think you are? Don't you think I know my creation better than you? Oh, I've been so convicted of this. And I hear it all the time. People say to me, you know what? There was an event we had years ago where this, this boy showed up and he was possessed by demons. And, and throughout the night, we managed to cast them out of him. And people said to me, if I was there... I would believe. And I think, I don't think you would. People say, if I just see a miracle, I'll believe. I'm just waiting for my moment. I'm just waiting for God to show himself. And this is exactly what Elijah asked for. A pillar of fire from heaven. Prove your God and everyone will turn to you. Irrefutable proof. And it didn't change a thing. This is also what Moses got on that exact same mountain. Listen to this display of power. This is in the book of Exodus, chapter 19. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain. This is the mountain of God. And a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. We're talking over a million people witnessing lightning, thunder, the mountain shaking, and everyone trembling. Is there any doubt in the power of God in that moment? Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. They watched the Lord descend on the mountain with fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Have you ever seen a mountain tremble violently? Can you even imagine As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. You're thinking, there must have been incredible revival there. That's what we want, isn't it? Everyone will turn to God and obeying him would be so easy, wouldn't it? If God showed himself like that, oh, I would obey then. Oh, I would obey. But God makes it so easy, he gives them one command. He's like, okay, Moses, come up here. Everyone else, one command. Command, only one. This is it. You ready? Exodus 19, 15. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. Easy. Oh, God, we know you're real. Look how powerful you are. Don't have sex. Sure. Easy. One thing, no problem. But then they gathered all of their gold, and they made an idol a golden calf. This golden calf is the sex god Apis. 
and they started having sex with each other. The sexual immorality in the camp was rampant. You see, they saw God 100% proof. They had one thing they weren't allowed to do, and they did the exact opposite thing. You see, they saw God, but they did not find him. We only find him when we seek him with our whole heart, and so he whispers. That's why he came as a baby. It's a whisper. That's why he came as a humble servant, because that's a whisper. That's because he came as a lamb before the slaughter makes no defense, because that is a whisper. I'm going to tell you something absolutely incredible. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he said, we're going up the mountain. This is where God typically speaks. This is where God appeared to Moses, where God whispered to Elijah. And when they get up there, Jesus starts to shine like the sun, and guess who shows up? It's no coincidence. There's Moses, and there's Elijah. Oh, the transfiguration is pointing to one of the most beautiful truths in the Bible. God speaks, and he says this. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. He is the whisper. This is who spoke to Moses. This is who whispered to Elijah. I am saying I am not hidden. As a matter of fact, I am revealing myself like never before. The whisper is now before you. Here's Moses and here's Elijah to prove to you that this is the whisper. This is the voice, the very voice of God in your midst. Wow. And we have the same invitation as Elijah. Come out and stand in my presence. You see, he whispers. And it's more important for us now than it ever has been, I believe, because we are a very distracted people, aren't we? We have more media than ever before. I've been watching the Little House in the Prairie series with my kids. (laughs) All they had to do at night was open their Bibles and pray. We go home and we are inundated with technology and media. Further, the biggest distraction is in the palm of our hands in the form of our phones. Our addiction to look at our cell phones every seven minutes is so powerful. Our need for acceptance in social media, that's an idol. It's a distraction. Our coveting the lives of others that be appearing to live these amazing lives that they're actually not. Our false selves that we create in pride on these devices. Full access to everything that our sinful nature desires. Porn and materialism and hedonism. It is harder than ever to hear the whisper of God because we've never lived in a world so loud, have we? And so as the church, it's never been more important to set aside time with him. Why do you think the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments? Because it's, being, it's simply saying, listen to my voice, turn everything else off. Don't worry about business. Don't worry about money. Just worry about me. I'm the provider. I'm the one who will fill your oil jars and your flour jars. And what if we took a Sabbath every day in the form of just time with him, where we just got our phone away from us? where we turned all the distraction away. That's why I love the idea that Paul speaks of, of a prayer closet, a place where it's just you and God. 
I use my furnace room at home. It's the dingiest, grossest room that I have, but it's sacred and holy because there's no distraction in that furnace room. He requires undivided attention, and so he whispers. He says, I am not hidden. He said, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Let's pray. So, Father, Jesus, please, more than ever, God, be very present with your people. Jesus, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would draw us with loving kindness and tenderness. Thank you that you are more present than ever. Thank you, Jesus, that God, that you came to reveal the heart of your Father, God. Jesus, I pray that each one of us in this room would have a living relationship with you, God. Lord, I pray that as a result of that, the miracles would follow. Jesus, I pray that you would just light a fire within each of us. God, I pray that our number one priority would be intimacy with you, Jesus. God, I pray that as we meet with you, that your spirit would make us come alive, that all the dark places in us, God, would just vanish. Jesus, I pray that they would drive out all of our temptation. Jesus, I pray that our sinful nature, which is so strong in us, God, would just be diminished, God. God, you say that if we live by your Spirit, that we will not satisfy the desires of the sinful nature, of the flesh. Jesus, I pray that we would live by the Spirit. God, we love you, and we love your word. Jesus, I pray that this church would be a place that many people would come to find that truth, God. Lord, we love you, and right now we just give you our worship, God, our undivided attention. You are our king, and we love you. And we surrender our lives at the foot of of our almighty Savior. Yeah, amen.